0: This morning we come to Genesis chapter 29 and 30 like a young man just told me on the way out. He said, I read Genesis 29 and thought, wow, what's he going to do with that? Uh, (laughs) It's a mess. Okay. So here, here, let let me help you studying your Bible from the beginning, then I'm going to pray for us. So I want you to, if you will, look at me right now. Just focus your eyes on me. Don't move your head. Now, Go from focusing on me to everything you see on the stage without moving your head. Now notice the back wall. Now come back to me. Isn't that amazing your brain can do that? Isn't that cool? But some of you think you can't do that with the Bible. You think all you do is. You just read chapter 29 and go, I don't know what in the world's going on, in chapter 29. I don't understand chapter 29. You gotta do this with your brain. You gotta go in and out. You gotta focus in on the details, spread out, see it in the wider context, understand what's going on, then zone back in. That's how you understand what's happening here. So whether you're consciously aware I'm doing this this morning, I'm gonna go in and out, okay? So let's start out first and then work our way into the story and then we're gonna go really wide to see a wide angle view. Let's pray. Father, help us now to comprehend and to understand your word. This is the word of God. I pray now that you would impact the hearts and lives of people through your word and bring about change that only you can bring and that for the sake of your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 12, we slow down in the the call of Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham of a land of people and a blessing. He gives him a son, Isaac, 25 years later. Isaac marries Rebekah in chapter 24, which is a tremendous story of Abraham sending his servant in the blessing of God, his servant trusting God, praying to God, looking for God's direction, and God provides Rebekah, and then even Laban Her brother rejoices in Genesis 24, 50 and says, this thing has come from the Lord. This is obvious. This was God's doing. Then we come here to chapter 29. In chapter 28, Abraham tells Jacob as he's fleeing from his brother, who wants to kill him, you go up to Haran and you find Laban, your mother's brother, and from Laban's family, you find a wife. So Jacob shows up in chapter 29, and when you work your way through the beginning of it, there's no prayer, there's no God, there's no asking anything. It's just human beings acting in the flesh. So let's work our way through this, chapter 29. First, I want you to see Jacob marries Leah and Rachel in spite of Laban's deception. Chapter 29, verse 1. Jacob went on his journey, came to the land, of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone in the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Implication is big rock needs lots of people move rock. Got it? Moving on. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. They said, He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together, water the sheep, and go and pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess and now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel the daughter of Laban and his mother's brother and the sheep of Laban his br- mother's brother Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban his mother's brother now there's a detail right there the Bible wants to make sure you don't miss what is it Laban is who her mother's brother okay don't miss that that's a crucial detail now <clears throat> Remember, basically up to this point, he's a guy that stays inside, kind of assumed to be a mama's boy. He's not an outdoorsman hunter, but he must have been strong. And there's no spiritual significance to this, but he moves the stone by himself and provides the water. Then verse 11, it says, then he kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel, that he was her, her father's kinsman and that he was Rachel, Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. Now, I think, I think sometimes you read this right here and because you know what's gonna happen in the story, what's coming, that you see what this this scene other than you ought to. So here's what you don't need to imagine. Like Jacob's standing at the well and here comes Rachel and the wind is blowing in her hair <laughs> and there's music playing and he's just, oh, you know, he's just dreaming. And she comes and he embraces her and lays this big old wet kiss on her. And, you know, that's not what happens. The kiss and the weeping are, this guy's been in the wilderness now for some time. And this is family. He's found family. So the kiss is not a sensual kiss because in the next verse in verse 13, Laban kisses Jacob. This is a customary family sharing. It says, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob and his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Now, <clears throat> what happens next is that Jacob and Laban agree on terms of marriage. It says, Laban said to Jacob, you're my kinsman. Should you therefore serve me for nothing, tell me, what shall your wages be? So you're here, you're working for me, what do I need to pay you? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. Now that's important detail. Older daughter, Leah, younger daughter, Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, how many of you have ever been told that, that Leah's cross-eyed? I mean, I have people interpret it. That is not what it says. It says her eyes were quite literally in the Hebrew, soft. So it either means there was something or weak, there's something weak about her eyes, or it means the only pretty thing about this girl is she has pretty eyes. It's not unclear, but you know this, compared to Rachel, she's ugly. All right. <laughs> Rachel's beautiful in form and appearance. As a result, it says, Jacob loved Rachel. Verse 18. He's so moved, he says, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now watch this. Verse 19. Laban does not use her name. Jacob uses her name. He, Laban says, it is better that I give her to you that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. So in his mind, he's working for Rachel. Now, what follows is a caption from a Hallmark card. Now guys, you gotta learn to talk to your wife like this. I'm serious. You gotta learn to say this kind of stuff. It says, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Now that is some romance right there. This guy is so in love with Rachel that it has seemed to him just a few days that he works for her for seven long years. Seven years is, I I can see Jacob's got this calendar in his room where he's marking the days off. And what follows here is Laban deceives Jacob with Leah. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. In the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went with her. And Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. In the morning, now this, this is explanation point. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. <laughs> Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. All right, so first question you got to ask is, wh- why does Jacob not notice? I mean, we're told one's beautiful, one's not so much. Why does he not notice? All right, so I'm going to give three reasons, possible reasons. I don't know why. Okay, I'm going to give you three possible reasons. One, it's dark. It's dark, he can't see. Number two, they've been at a feast. There was likely what at the feast? Wine. He's probably drunk, or at least partially. I know you're Baptist, I'm sorry to tell you that. That may be part of what happened. Number three, he just love struck. I'll let you figure that out, okay? All right, next. Jacob marries Rachel, verse twenty-seven. This is Laban responding. Complete this week, the the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed his her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved her more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Okay, so here's what happened. He worked seven years, marries Leah in a deceptive way. The week of the honeymoon, if you will, transpires. At the end of the week, he then marries Rachel. Then he has seven more years to serve to then be able to, to complete his wages, if you will, for the marriage of Rachel. In the meantime, you have this detail. He loved Rachel more than Leah. So again, you have favoritism. This is how Jacob grew up. He grew up with favoritism. His mother loved him more than she loved uh, Esau and his dad loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. So he just plays right into this favoritism and he loves Rachel more more now what I want to make sure you see you can read the Bible and say if, if, if we read the Bible and just opened it up and said okay I'm going to make application here if that's how we read it without reading it in context you'd say well I can get married twice I can have two women you've got to read the rest of the scripture because Leviticus 18.18 forbids this no longer is this to transpire or this to happen now <clears throat> What's going to transpire after this is the birth of the sons of Leah, Rachel, and their servants. This is a quote. The narrative place slows down to almost a standstill by focusing on the births of 12 children. Children are virtually everything. It is equally clear that they are born not by human means, but by divine aid. You see, up to this point in Genesis Genesis chapter 29, the Lord is silent. Now, obviously, he's acting providentially behind the scenes, but it becomes obvious that God is acting in the birth of the children. So what you're gonna see here is that the Lord fulfills his promise in spite of human sinfulness. You say, well, what's the promise? What promise is he fulfilling? Let's go back to chapter 28, widen your lens a little bit get this in your mind. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, God speaking to Jacob, the God of your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you live, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. In other words, you're going to be multiple children and generations come from you. And they shall spread to the east, the west, the north, and the south. And you, the offspring, sh- shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So ultimately, you're going to affect everybody in the world. Behold, I am with you and keep you wherever you go. And behold, I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. So what you're going to see here is that through the marriage to Leah and to Rachel, even though it's a result of deception, even though there's all kinds of mess going on, favoritism, competition, jealousy, bitterness, God's going to keep his promise. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So you clearly see the Lord intervene here into the story. On a human level, you hear the human cravings of these two women. One wants her husband to recognize her. The other wants a child. But on the divine level, you see God, by his grace, carrying out his promise and his plan. Now, as these children are born, each of them are named. And the Bible is establishing here, first, the birth of each of these children individually and their names. Much like American Indians often had names that had meaning, all of these names have meaning. They're not like American parents who are just trying to come up with a cute name meaning can be secondary, the meaning was primary. And you're going to see that particularly in the last son born in chapter 30 of his name his name is totally just meaning. That's all that's all it is. So let's walk through these verse 32 of chapter 29. Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben for she said because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So his name means the Lord sees affliction. And the assumption is because the Lord has seen her affliction, given her a son, and now her husband's gonna love her, doesn't work. So she conceives again. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. The name Simeon means the Lord hears. So obviously, what is Leah doing? She's praying. And she's saying, the Lord hears me. You continue. And again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And they called his name Levi, which means attached. Now she's the thought here is my my husband's going to get attached to me because now I've given him a third son. It's very interesting because Levi gives way to the tribe of Levi. They have no land. They are attached to the other tribes as you see the story unfolding. Then you come to the fourth son. She conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. The name Judah means praise the Lord or God be praised. Then you see this detail that she ceases bearing. She stops having children. So Rachel then comes up with an idea that she's gonna put forward her servant and that, much like you go back to Sarah, that, that Jacob will go into his, her servants and have children. You have this in, in uh, chapter 30 verses one through four, this explanation of what happens. Then she gives birth to Dan, which means the Lord has vindicated me or vindication. Then Naphtali, which means mighty struggle. It's a a mighty struggle. I've wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed, she says. So this given way to the struggle that she has had. Leah, who's gone barren says, I'm not gonna be left out of this. So she puts forward her servant Zilpah in verse nine and has two more sons through Zilpah, one named Gad which means fortune or what fortune that God has been fortunate to her. And then Asher, which means blessed or happy am I. Then you come to verse 14. This is an interesting account. Again, the Bible's giving you this detail. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben, which which one's Reuben? What number? First. Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Now let's just pause for a minute and grasp what a mandrake is. A mandrake is a small little fruit, sort of like an apple. So in my mind, I'm thinking crab apples from the mountains of North Carolina where I grew up, a little sour thing. Now here's what people believed a mandrake was good for. Two things. Number one, it was an aphrodisiac. Number two, it created fertility. And if a woman would eat the mandrake, then she would conceive and have a child. So these are valuable. So Reuben comes home, he's got these valuable things. Now, what's wrong with his mother at this point? She's barren. So he comes offering to Rachel finds out about it. Rachel said, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? In other words, you've cut me off from relations with my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes too also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. So She's so desperate to get these, you go into him. Verse 16, when Jacob came in the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. So the mandrake's not the reason. You get it? God listened to her. She conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I, have, I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Issachar means God has given me my hire. So his name is tied to this mandrake moment and situation then she has another son zebulun which means god has endowed me or god has honored me so this is the sixth son and the logic she's using here in naming him is god's given me six sons surely my my husband's going to honor me now he doesn't she then has a daughter her name is dinah which means very similar to to dan that god has vindicated me now you come to verse 22. We're back to Rachel. So if, if I was highlighting in my Bible, which I have, I have highlighted verse 31 of chapter 29 and I've highlighted verse 22 of chapter 30. These are clear, significant moments. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Then she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Now Joseph is a fascinating name. It's two Hebrew phrases or words jammed together into one name. It means to take away and to add. So just imagine you named your kid that. Hey, take away Ad, come here. Sounds nice now, Joseph. We even name our kids Joseph. It's just a a good name. Why in the world would she name him take away Ad? It's right there explained for you. God's taken away my reproach. I've been barren. He's taken that away. And then there's a prayer tied to it. May the Lord add to me another son. May God give me another son. Now, we're not going to get into detail here. Joseph's brothers sell him to slavery. Isaac and Rebecca think he's dead. God gives her another son. His name is Benjamin. Benjamin means the son of the right hand. What happens though, as Rachel is giving birth to Benjamin? Do anybody know? She dies. She dies in childbirth and is no more. Now, why do we have the Bible go into detail to tell us about these 12 people? Look in chapter 35. This is just below the birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel. Halfway through verse 22 it says, actually probably starts a new paragraph for you. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. And then it lists them by their mothers. So what, what the Bible wants you to see here is that God has provided now the foundation for a people. That from these people, God's going to expand Israel into a multitude of people. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss as we move forward. And you've got to know this detail the rest of the Bible. The priestly tribe and the kingly tribe come from which mother? Leah. not come from Rachel. So the priestly tribe and the kingly tribe come from Leah. Now, we ratchet ahead to the end of Joshua. Let me quickly tell you what's going to happen. Because of a famine, the children of Israel are going to end up in Egypt. They're going to be saved. They're then going to be brought out of Egypt in the great exodus. They're going to go into the wilderness. They're going to wander around for 40 years. Moses dies. Then they're going to come into the promised land. There are great battles. This takes place in the book of Joshua. So now you come to Joshua chapter 24 and God's people, the Israelites, the 12 tribes are gathered listening to Joshua give this speech about what they are to be in the promised land. And I just encourage you to read it. It's, it's just a good summary of what God has done to bring the people to this moment. But here's what I'm going to pick up in in verse 14. He says, "Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river." Now, who's he talking about beyond the river? Who lived beyond the river Euphrates? Abraham. So you put away the gods of Abraham's former people. Don't you worship those gods? Don't you get nostalgic and go, we want to go back to Abraham's people. You put away the gods of beyond the river and in Egypt. So don't you drag the gods of Egypt into us either put away them and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. In other words, you're just gonna become like these people you live around. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this is what's before the people of Israel. Are you gonna serve God? Are you gonna believe God? Are you gonna trust God as you live in the land? Now here's what's gonna happen in the rest of the Old Testament. Imagine a graph. What's the next book in the Bible after Joshua? What, give me one sentence that would sum up ju- Judges. Everybody did what is right in their own eyes. They didn't listen to Joshua. So here's what they go, down. Then there'll be, pro- God will send prophets, they'll repent, there'll be a little uptick. Then what'll happen if you keep going in the Old Testament? Down, God will send a prophet, little uptick, they'll repent, what's gonna happen? Down, ultimately what's gonna take place? What's gonna get destroyed? Jerusalem and the people are gonna end up in exile because they don't heed what Joshua says here. But whose promise is this? It's God's. Now you people sitting here, 2017, with a world spinning absolutely out of control. Please be like the senior adult lady who walked up to me after the service. I didn't say this illustration right here. Who walked up to me after the service and looked at me and said, I get it. God keeps his promise in spite of us. I said, amen. It's God's promise. So here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to draw application from Genesis 29 and 30. First thing we're gonna do is we're gonna widen out from Genesis 29 and 30 and look wider at Genesis and see how did God keep his promise through what he does with these 12 sons. And I want you to go to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. More attention is given to this individual in Genesis than anybody else, it's Joseph. Now you would think because of that, just looking at the content of Genesis, you would think Joseph must be the seed. He must be the one through whom God's going to keep the promise. He's got to be it. Joseph's strong and he's intelligent and he's an overcomer. and, And he's a man of just strict purity. I mean, won't give in to Potiphar's wife. You look at, he's gotta be it. He's not. But Joseph has a very specific purpose. You see, Joseph, the son of Jacob, will save his people from death. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says, he's speaking to his brothers here. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for the good. There's not a period there, there's a comma to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph's saying, everything that transpired for me was to keep the people, many people alive. You see, Joseph plays a crucial role in the plan of redemption. He's not the seed, but Joseph is a type. Big word, typology. Joseph is pointing us to Christ, just like the ram in the thicket in Genesis chapter 22 is pointing us to Christ. Joseph points us to Christ. We'll see that in detail as we work through the rest of Genesis, but you must not see Joseph as the seed. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 27 is not in your notes. You can just write it down. Here's what it says. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. That means, that means this, friends. In the presence of God, we're all not going to step out of the way and defer to Joseph. Joseph, step up here. We're all not going to step out of the way and say, oh, here's King David. David, step up here. We're not going to say, Billy, step up here. Not going to do it. No one has a boast in the presence of God. And here's one of the reasons God's not choosing Joseph, so that you don't see Joseph as the Savior. Because he's not. So where does the seed come from? comes from Judah. Now we're totally out of whack now. Not only is Judah not the firstborn, he's which one? He's number four, but there's something there. You see, the Bible's giving you a little detail there. She steps outside of all these vindicating names and she just names Judah, God be praised. Because from the line of Judah, that's what's gonna happen. God's gonna be praised, not because of Judah. Judah's a wicked man and you're going to see that here in the next couple of weeks. A wicked man. But it is from his seed that we trace all the way to Christ and what I'm going to do is we're just going to ratchet all the way to the end. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Now here's what's going on in heaven. There's this seal the scrolls of the seven seals and Somebody's gonna break the seals and open the scrolls and there's this dilemma moment in heaven. Who, Who can do this? Who can open this? And it says, John began to weep. And it says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a what? A lamb. Do you get this, friends? Do you get this? He's identified as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but when he steps out in heaven, he's a lamb. That image needs he doesn't step out like Arnold Schwarzenegger with his big bulging muscles and the humility of the Lamb. And the sparks of song in heaven, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. Things begin to transpire. And you ask, why are these 12 people important? Here we go, chapter 7. And after I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then in verses five through eight, you have the list of the 12 tribes. Which one's first, friends? Judah. 12,000 from each tribe. Some of you are going, oh, is that, is that going to be exactly 12,000? it going to be exactly 144,000? Hear me what I'm going to say next. It means God is perfectly going to save true Israel. He's going to. But that's not all he promised Jacob. He didn't just promise Jacob 12 sons. He didn't just promise Jacob a land and a people. He promised Jacob that he was gonna bless the peoples of the world. So look what's next in verse nine. And after I look and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. Now here's the question. Here's the question as you look at the Bible not just Genesis 29, 30, as you look at the Bible, here's the question. Are you gonna be singing this song? Are are you gonna be gathered at the throne singing this song? And here's, here's the content. Let's go back to Carl's illustration. Here's what every one of our songs is gonna sound like. We're not gonna have different ones. All of our songs are going to have one baseline content. Salvation belongs to our God. The reason I had you underline those two little moments in Genesis 29 and 30 is because salvation didn't come from man. Man was just making a mess. God is the one who acted. God is the one who moved. God is the one who brought about these births. It is God who brings about Judah. It is God who brings about Joseph. It is God's work. And folks, there are none of you present, none of you who have earned or deserved God's salvation. There is not one of you in this room who will ever earn or deserve salvation. And let me say this clearly, there will be no Jew or any other religion present because of something they have earned. Every person who is gathered at the throne of God will say the same thing. Salvation belongs to our God. And by his grace, he has given it to us. Here's how you know if you're going to be at the throne singing the song, it's this way. Are you singing the song right now? I'm going to play off Carl's illustration for a moment. Here's the problem. There are too many people in this room singing your song. You write in your own lyrics. You and Sinatra, you're going to do it your way. We'll see how that works out for you in eternity. There's only one way, and Jesus has provided that one way. Salvation belongs to our God. And thanks be unto God that this day, this day, from Genesis chapter 29 and 30, here's what God's made clear to you. That only He can save you, that you cannot and you will not save yourself. Salvation is by Christ alone, through faith alone, is your faith and hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, friends, our goal is not to create an experience here on Sunday, our goal is to exalt Christ. Heaven's not gonna be about an experience. Heaven's not going to be about your grandma. Heaven's going to be about Jesus Christ. It's going to be about the fact that salvation belongs to him. And there will never, ever be a boring day in heaven. I want you to bow your head right where you are. And I want you to ask yourself the question. Is this my song? If it's not, I call you to repentance. That means to turn from whatever it is, like Joshua called the people, and choose you this day whom you will serve. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in the hearts and lives of people in this room who live in a world that's turned upside down and is all messed up. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of that, you bring salvation to hearts and to souls. I pray you'd bring salvation in this room and to those whom you have given it to. Those who have been saved by your grace alone. I pray now they would sing your song with all the joy they have in Jesus' name.